0: glasses on. <sighs> Good morning, KIC Silvoa. Good morning, wow. yeah, I such an honor to yeah to bring the word of God this morning to you. I don't do this often, so every time my turn comes, I'm like, oh God. <laughs> again. (laughs) Yeah, but the word of God is powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword, and what I'm going to do is to present the word and allow the word to speak for itself. Yeah, um. so uh, last week we began a study of the Old Testament characters. How many of us were here last week? Who remembers who we talked about? Mordecai, yes. We talked about Mordecai from the book of Esther. Uh, Interestingly, that uh, Alistair chose that same character because I'm talking about another character who we probably know very well and his life really starts around the time of the exile. And also interestingly, Esther and Mordecai also are characters during the time of Israel's exile in, in Babylon. I think in that time it was, what was it called? But all these people were living during the time of exile, and, and I thought it was very important for us to actually look at Daniel again. Daniel is one of the most, probably most loved, most known characters, one of the most loved and known characters in the Bible. Uh, I think growing up in, 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 uh, in church, uh, every time you'd go to church in Sunday school, that, that was one of the characters they would talk about often. Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel in the lion's den. Um, so this morning, I just want us to just dig a little, deep, a little bit deep and look at Daniel. I want to provide a bit of background. So I've titled the message today, Daniel, the life of an exile. And I think it will be very important for me to just elaborate a little bit about this whole concept of exile. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve and placed them in a beautiful garden, Eden. And that was their home. One of the things that God created us with is the ability to actually make choices. So Adam and Eve, with their God-given ability of making choices, made a bad choice, and decided to go against his commandment. And they ate of the fruit that he had said they would not eat of, and what happened? What happened when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit? Yes? People are saying things, but I'm not hearing them. <laughs> they were exiled from Eden. So God actually banishes them from their lovely home. Yeah? And says, I, We cannot allow them to live here anymore because they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. But God's desire is we actually live from eating from the tree of life. But they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God says, we can't keep them in the garden. Because we keep them in the garden, they might eat of the tree of life, and their state will be a fallen state for the rest of their life. So even God banishing them from the garden was an act of love for us as humanity, eventually. So that's the first time we actually hear of the word exile. They're exiled from Eden. Unfortunately, their choice, their choice, led the human, entire human race, down a path that we probably can't escape apart from later on when Christ comes. So the entire human race is exiled from God, spiritually speaking. So you remember in the garden, what the Bible says, the Bible says that Adam and Eve walked with God. They had communion with God all the time, they talked to God as a friend. It's it's, it's as if uh, you you, you are talking to how I talk to Daniel. Daniel is my neighbor, so we talk. So that's the kind of relationship they have. Worker say, hello, how are you? How is your day? Uh, What are you doing today? What are you up to? They had that sort of close communion with God, and they depended on God, and they relied on God. But after the fall, they have lost something. What did they do? They hid from God. That is the first sign of what happened. They hid from God because for the first time they realized they are naked. So this whole relationship between God and man is tarnished. And the human soul is in exile from that point on. When you move on and look at Israel, Moses, uh, in speaking to the children of Israel, just before his death in in, in, uh, in Deuteronomy, he tells them that if you obey the Lord your God, he will bless you and he will do all these wonderful things for you. And he lists all these blessings. But he also says, if you do not follow the Lord your God with all your heart and serve him wholeheartedly, one of the things he tells them, he says, you will be sent into exile. And you'll be under oppression. And so a few years, not maybe not a few years, many, many years down the road, Here we are, and we are looking at Daniel, and Daniel's story is actually happening after the Israelites have been exiled from their home and they've been taken into captivity in Babylon. So that is a bit of the context of where this story comes from, or the book of Daniel comes from. So the Babylonian invasion happened around the year 586, or around 87, 86, 87, 586, 87 BC. So Daniel is thought to have been a teenager at that point. Um, I I don't know what is happening there, but but the the slides are there if you you can project a few things. So Daniel is thought to have been a teenager at this point and probably around 17 or 18. That's what some of the scholars think he was about that age. Also from reading the first chapter of Daniel, we understand that Daniel was a noble or he was from a royal background. The scripture also tells us he was good-looking, he was gifted in wisdom as well. That is in verse 3. But also Daniel went through some hard things. So Daniel was taken from his home, from his people, from his culture, and was now placed in a foreign land. So he's taken away from his land, his people, his culture, and from the influences that were meant to mould his thinking and character in the ways of God. For example, the regular public worship of God, the teaching of God's word, and the fellowship with the people of God, and the wisdom that comes from that. So Daniel is plucked right out of that, and is placed into a foreign land. He's placed into Babylon. Not only is he isolated, Daniel is also indoctrinated. So we are told in verse 5 that he's given a Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. So that's the first thing that happens, he's given a foreign name, he's given a name in captivity. And also the king instructed that Daniel and all his peers should be in schooled in the language and the culture of Babylon for three years. So he's taken away and now he's being taught the culture, the language of Babylon and he's given the name of the place he's taken to so Nebuchadnezzar is intentional in his approach we need to be aware of this he wants to retrain their minds to think like Babylonians that is his strategy and then finally Daniel is appointed into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar and he also served three other kings during his lifetime Belshazzar Darius and finally Cyrus you find that in Daniel chapter 1 verse 21 I'm just going to say a little bit more about Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar understood that military conquest alone could not guarantee him long-term success in gaining control over the people in these conquered lands. So what does he do? His strategy was to move the best and the most brilliant young people into his palace, indoctrinate them, and then appoint them into his service. So I'm, I'm saying all these things because I want us to understand when we look at Daniel later on and the characteristics that we we really want to learn from him, we need to understand the context of what is going on around him at that point. There's another person in the Bible who uh, lived during the time of the exile of uh, Israel at this particular point in time, and that is Jeremiah. I want us to turn to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 from verse 1. I want us to read something there, together. Jeremiah 29. So, Jeremiah's letter to the captives. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who are carried away captive to the priests the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother and the eunuchs, the princess of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smith had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah king of Judah sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Listen to this. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. In verse 7 says, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. This sounds like a a stupid strategy. We've been sent into captive and you're saying, oh, by the way, chill, relax, have babies, marry and inquiries, blah, 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 blah. And also pray for the peace of the place that you've been taken captive in. This is going to be very important later on as we look at the characteristics um, that we learn, all the lessons that we can learn from the book of, from the life of Daniel. So Jeremiah in writing to the exiles in Jeremiah 29, 1 to 10 gives them a very peculiar strategy. He instructs them to build houses, plant gardens, take wives, have children, have grandkids, increase in Babylon, and do not what? Diminish. He further instructs them to seek the peace of Babylon and pray to the Lord for it. So contrary to conventional wisdom, he does not encourage them to revolt against the exilers. Interesting, right? He doesn't encourage them to revolt or rebel against their captors. Neither does he tell them to compromise their values and conform to the culture of where they've been taken. But rather, he says, thrive there. That's the first thing. Then he says, seek and pray for the peace of Babylon and its warfare." Meanwhile, he's expecting them to keep their loyalty to their God. That's the strategy he gives them. Babylon is not merely a physical place in the Bible. Babylon is also a symbol synonymous with the worldly systems. The governments and the culture that aim at redefining good and evil contrary to God's view. Does that make sense? It's not merely a physical location, but it's also a symbol synonymous with the worldly systems, the governments and the culture that try to redefine good and evil contrary to God's view. So when we talk about Babylon, even in our context, we need to remember that. So we, like Daniel, live in a world where sin Remember, sin is the exiled condition of the human heart and its effects are all around us. And because we see the evil around us, there's this ongoing desire now has to be home with the Lord. Am I right? Am I the only one who wants to be, to be home with the Lord or are we so comfortable here? Each one of us, as we experience losses, as we experience suffering, as we experience trials in life, there's this longing, there's this desire to be home with the Lord. Am I right? And yet, for a reason, God has chosen to leave us here for a season. God has purpose that we continue on here, rather than take us home. Uh, One of my favorite preachers already said, uh, if God had nothing for us to do here on earth, immediately we gave our lives to him. He would take us home to be with him. But he leaves us here because there is a purpose. There is a reason that he wants us to be here. So, as we look at the life of Daniel, we are looking at a demonstration of how to live and thrive in this evil world, yeah, while maintaining our allegiance and affections for our heavenly king. That is the tension of a believer. How do I thrive here? How do I live on this planet, on this earth, in this world? in the evil communities and culture that have been planted in. How do I live there and thrive, yet not lose my allegiance and affection to the heavenly king? So that solution to the evil in the world is not for believers retreating from the world or revolting against the authorities in place. No conforming to the ways and the patterns of this world, but rather purposing to shine the light of Christ even brighter and being the soul that Jesus calls us to be. That is in Matthew 5:13 to 14. So then the question is, what can we learn from the life of Daniel regarding this very tension that we're talking about thriving here and being a people of influence and a blessing here, yet continue to be a people who are committed to our God and have affections for our God. How do we balance that tension? And that's what we want to learn from the book of Daniel. There are so many lessons we can learn, but I picked on four that I believe really, really are very key to this particular subject that I've mentioned. So one of the things that we can learn from Daniel comes from Daniel 1, 8 to 16. And we are going to read that whole portion because we'll keep referring to it over and over again. But one of the things that is important here is to know that the Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart. Purpose to do what? We are going to look at that. And my question to each one of us is, what are your convictions? What are your convictions? Um, Is it possible to have that scripture scripture so that we can actually read it together? Daniel Daniel chapter 1. We'll read from verse 8 to 16. I'll read from the New King James. This is what it says. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Now, this is after his... You know, he's brought in here in Babylon, he's given a different name, he's been schooled for three years in the couch and all these things. And also one of the things that they wanted to do, they were giving them very special food, the food in Babylon. But then, that's why then Daniel comes in. The Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defy himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he, he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, my, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age, Then he would endanger my head before the king? In verse 11 says, So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Daniel, Hanaya, Mishael, and Azariah, these are the, the, other, the other three Hebrew boys that we really talk about. Please test your servant for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Therefore, the stewards took away their portion of delicacies and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. The Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart to do what? not to defile himself. So now if you go back and look for, uh, and look at uh, the, you know, the book Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus, they were, the, the, the Jews had very specific guidelines, all laws, all regulations regarding what they could eat or what they couldn't eat. So this is where Daniel is coming from. He says, I am not going to eat that and defile myself. Uh, we won't go into the New Testament. The Bible actually says you can give thanks and eat anything. <laughs> but that was, that, that was his context at that point. So Daniel Pappas would not defy himself right from the start. He decided what the non-negotiables were going to be. He did not wait until he was in a position of strength. He's not in a position of influence yet. He's not in a position of strength yet. But in his heart, he has purpose. There are things I am not going to... to defy myself with. So this was not a decision taken in the heat of the moment, but this is a rather carefully thought-through decision and also an ongoing decision. The word purpose used here refers to a person's sense of resolve or determination. So it's not a very lightly taken decision. He has really thought through this, and he has resolved and he has determined, I am not going to defy myself with this food. Interestingly, also Daniel doesn't just go to the, the chief of units and say, I am not eating that food, take your food away. The Bible says, he actually approached him and requested for permission that he would not defy himself with the food. And that speaks a lot about the character of Daniel. So Daniel is wise as well in his strategy. He did not protest, but rather sought the permission from the chief eunuch to take a different approach. He actually says, you know what, test me in this. If at the end of these days, you see that this is not a good decision, let's go ahead then go with your decision. So he is wise and he so, and he's, he's someone who acted with conviction but also being respectful to the authorities over him. And later on, as you read the, uh, the verse, it says he actually had favor with the chief of the United. And I think part of the reason why he has this favor is because he is respectful. He is honoring to the people who have been placed in authority over him. Remember. This guy has been taken away from his home, he's taken away from his people, probably his family has been killed in the process, probably he has lost friends along the way, and now he's here in a foreign culture, and he's being respect- respectful to these guys who are responsible for his, misery, for his misery and all these things that he has suffered, and, the people, and his people has, have suffered as well. But he is even respectful to the authorities in place, and the Bible says he had favour And not just favor in that situation, he has favor over and over again in different scenarios that we'll look at. But part of the reason is because he is very respectful of the authorities. So he's wise in his strategy as well. In Daniel uh, chapter six, in verse three, five, and 10, there's another very interesting story about Daniel that we can look at and understand this whole idea of him purposing in his heart or having non-negotiables or having convictions and yet choosing that he's not going to defy himself with the things around him. So I will not go and read the entire verse because we'll read it, I'll read it later on. But then it says, are the other governors and satraps who have been appointed over the provinces at that time, Daniel being one of them, became very jealous of Daniel because the king had an intention of putting them and making them head over them all. So they became Daniel and therefore they planned a, they, they, they set up a scheme to actually bring him down. They went to the king and said, oh king, it would be wonderful if you could actually decree that no one should worship or pray to any other person or any other god besides you. And the king falls for it and the decree is passed. But what they're doing is actually targeting Daniel. The Bible says when Daniel actually found out, what did he do? He went into his room like he had done so many times before, opened his windows and prayed. But Daniel allowed, to, Daniel allowed his name to be changed. He allowed to be schooled for three years. Why can't he just worship this God? Why can't he just eat whatever is offered? Daniel has the wisdom to know when to take his stand and when to let things go. So he has, actually has these convictions. He has, you know, in his mind, in his heart, he has, this, I'm going to, this I will take, this I will not take. Anything that is going to defile me, anything that is going to draw me away from my relationship with God, I am not going to. So he actually goes ahead and prays, and of course we know that story, he's actually captured and thrown into the den of lions. That's another story for later on. But he takes a public stand for his God over and over again. Now you and I, we live post the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And also, we've been given the Holy Spirit. So two things are very important for us in our lives today. We have the Holy Spirit. We also have the whole counsel of the word of God. These guys had portions and pieces here and pieces there and letters here and there. We have the whole counsel of the word of God. So we have the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God. In Acts 4, uh, verse 29 to 31, Peter, and, and I think it was Peter and James, I'm trying to remember who exactly they were, but I think it was Peter and, and someone else. They had been taken into prison because of their witness. For Christ and they are told very strongly you cannot talk about Christ when you get out of here. They got out and this is a prayer they prayed in Acts. I want us to look at that prayer because I think it's one of the prayers we should actually be praying on a daily basis as believers. Acts chapter 4 verse 29. This is what it says. Now the Lord, now Lord look on their threats And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The boldness to actually live out the life of Christ in this evil and fallen world comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not going to be bored as this guy was bored, even without the Holy Spirit. He wasn't coming and living in them like he does with us. He's with us, he's resident in us forever and ever. So we have something that they don't have. Boldness and courage to actually live the life of God can only be given by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We have the full counsel of the word of God. What are we allowing to shape and mold our thinking? What are we allowing to influence our hearts? Is it the word of God? Is it the society around us? Friends, we are either being transformed or we are conforming. There are no ways about it. There's nothing in between. If you're not being transformed by the word of God, you are conforming to the society around you. We have been given the full counsel of the word of God. Let's allow the word of God to shape our conviction. Let's allow the word of God to shape our value systems. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And how that happens is by us going to the word of God and giving the word of God the preeminence it should have in our lives. So what are we allowing to influence our heart? Is it the word of God or the pull of society around us? Daniel shows us that we can truly be committed to God and we can purpose in our hearts and have convictions to live for God even when we are surrounded by an evil world. The other thing that we see about the life of Daniel that is worth emulating as we try to actually be the salt and the light in this world, Daniel had an excellent spirit about him. In Daniel 1:17 to 20, it says, Daniel at the end of the three year training excelled When I read this, I was very, um, I don't know what's the word, I was amazed. He's been schooled for three years in the culture of Babylon. And the Bible says the king called them. And in whatever he questioned them, they had the, the answers. Whatever thing he inquired of concerning the wisdom, concerning the literature, concerning all these things, Daniel always excelled. He had answers. What do you think King Nebuchadnezzar was asking him about? He was asking him about his gods, the gods of, of, of Babylon, the culture of Babylon, the things that they were doing in Babylon. They were not schooling them in anything else, remember? They were schooling him as a strategy to teach them the things. And Daniel still chose that he was going to excel even in the knowledge and the wisdom of that land. And that says a lot. So, and also this is like an encouragement to us who are students as we go about school and all that. It's important that we are excelling, even as students in our academics. It is a witness. It's a witness to people who don't believe in God. It says something about us. Don't just say, ah, it's just things of this world, no matter, I shouldn't care about that, in everything that we set out to do. So that's one of the things that really, really inspired me. The Bible says everything that the Chaldeans asked them, Daniel had answers, and he excelled. So he excelled in the the wisdom of the Chaldeans at that point. But also, somebody who serves one king, two kings, three kings, four kings, that says something about them, right? there must have been something very special about Daniel, like who serve Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, uh, Darius and Cyrus. So he must have had a consistent character and he must have had a good reputation to be able to do that. But then uh, something that, uh, when you read Daniel five eleven to 12, during the reign of Belshazzar, the queen speaks highly of Daniel as one with an excellent spirit. So this is a situation where the king, um, I think they're having a banquet with his men and all that and they're getting drunk and all that and there's a handwriting on the wall and none of the wise men at that time could actually interpret what was on the wall. So the queen says, by the way, you have a person. He served in the times of your father. This man is full of the wisdom of God and he is of an excellent spirit. That's how she describes him in Daniel 5, 11 to 12. When you move on to during the reign of Darius, Scripture says Daniel distinguished himself because an excellent spirit was in him. That is Daniel 6.3. The English dictionary defines the term excellence as the quality of being outstanding or extremely good. Which means that Daniel was extremely good and outstanding in everything he set out to do. There were no half measures with him. I'm either doing this I'm doing it very well, or I'm not doing it. He gave his very best. Whether it's in serving the, the, the his, uh, these people that were well, well, well over him, or serving his God, he gave his very best. For us as believers, our standard of good is the Lord Jesus. So in other words, excellence for us is striving to pattern our lives after Jesus in every area of our lives, every area of our lives. So that means the way I conduct myself as a husband in my house, my wife should be able to say, my husband is an excellent husband. And that doesn't mean we won't have challenges or we won't fail, but what are we striving towards? We are striving to pattern our lives, to, uh, uh, um, pattern our lives after the Lord himself. So as a, as a worker, as an employee where I'm working, my desire is to excel and do and give the very best so that, that glory can go back to my Lord. As a student in the school, as a minister here in our church, my desire is to continue to give my very best. That people, When people look at my life, when people look at the way I do life, the way I conduct myself, they can truly say, that man is patterning his life after the Lord Jesus. And that's what excellence looks like. Not the excellence that the world defines for us. Not having the very best car and and, and having the very best grades. That's not what the definition of excellence is. How are we in terms of patterning our lives after the Lord Jesus in everything that we set out to do? Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23 says this. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance for you, for you serve the Lord Christ. This is a reminder: you are not serving men; we are not serving men; we are here to serve the Lord Jesus. The other powerful thing that we can learn from the book of Daniel or from the life of Daniel, Daniel demonstrated a confidence in God in good and bad times. And this confidence served as a powerful witness to the people around him. In Daniel 1, 8-16, Daniel is in exile. Yeah? He has probably lost some family members and friends. And most importantly, this God that his people believe in and trust him has allowed them to actually be taken into exile. So he's in a foreign land where no one really, really cares about his values and his beliefs. And yet Daniel resolves not to defy himself like we read earlier on. That was a witness to the chief eunuch. So can you imagine what happened when the chief eunuch is to say, okay, fine, you don't want to eat that food that the king has set apart for you, let's give you the vegetables and the water as you have requested. And the Bible says at the end of that period, they actually looked better than the other men. What, what, what kind of witness do you think the chief eunuch got in that situation? He must have realized these guys serve the living God he must have realized that. What about in Daniel chapter, in chapter, yeah, yes, it's still in chapter two. So King Nebuchadnezzar, having, a, having had a dream and no one is able to interpret his dream, he actually orders for the execution of every wise man in the land. What does Daniel do? This is a very difficult situation. You are between life and death. Daniel says, the Bible says Daniel convinced Ariok, who was there, the chief guard, and says, please give me an audience with the king. So he goes into the king's, king's palace and says, I need a bit of time. Let me seek my God, I'll come back with her and answer. And so he does, eventually comes back with her, with an interpretation of that dream. So what do you think the witness was to the chief guard Ariok and Nebuchadnezzar? This guy is God. This guy is serving somebody that can be trusted. This guy is serving the real deal. Actually, uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, truly your God is the God of gods. In Daniel 6, the story we talked about earlier on, when he's thrown into the lion's den, Following his resolve to keep praying to God, even with the knowledge that a decree had been passed, that all men should pray to the king. Daniel comes out unscathed from the the lion's den the following day. The king, his guards, and the jealous satraps and governors witness firsthand the power of God, and Darius declares, for he is the living God and steadfast forever." Friends, these are non-simple situations that Daniel is finding himself in. These are very difficult things. But in every one of these as, as difficulties, he chooses that he's going to continue trusting and depending on his God. And in every one of those situations, these people actually have first-hand witness of how powerful, of how mighty, of how faithful, of how trustworthy Daniel's God is. I'll share a little bit about my testimony. So I went to a Muslim school for six years. Yeah, six years. I will not tell you the school, but it's a Muslim-founded school, and everything about the school is Muslim. So I go in this school as a Christian. I'd given my life to Christ in my primary six. And so a year later, I'm not even yet discipled. disciple. that I find myself in this environment. The first three years were actually very okay because the head, the head of school at that point was very, very, um, very positive about Christians. You know, he used to say things like, I, I, I love more, actually we would get more Christians in this school because Christians are the most well-behaved, um, you never hear any disciplinary cases with them, and they excel in their, you know, in their studies. So that was three years. But then at around the fourth year, we had a change. And a, and a new king came in who had no idea. <laughs> About the things of God. <laughs> yeah? So we got a new head teacher, and he was, this is a Muslim school, you shape up or get out. Shape up or ship out. And so I find myself in this environment, and it wasn't just me, we were quite a number of, the, the Christian population was actually quite high at that point, because that was the, that, that was the influence of that previous head teacher, was that I love Christians, and they are very obedient, and you know they don't give me any hard any hardship like my fellow Muslims. That's what he used to say on the assembly. So the new head teacher comes in, and all of a sudden, our lives are thrown into chaos. Why I want to share my testimony is that, during that time, I and a few of, of my friends who are kind of leading the fellowship, the Christian fellowship in the school, we got a lot of persecution during that time. Um, And one of the people who were actually uh, spearheading that was someone I considered to be my very good friend, but I had no idea. I had no idea. So, this guy would go behind my back and, and, and claim and say things as, ah, that guy prays at night and he casts out demons and he prayed for the other kid and the kid fell. Even things I'd never done. I'd never ever done those things. But those are the things he would actually go to the, to, the, to, the, to the school administration and say, ah, that guy, he prays for kids and the kids that are converting now to Christianity. At that point, even no Christian had actually, no, no Muslim had converted. But he would do all sorts of things. And they kept calling me to the administration and there were all these claims that I had no clue about. I like, but I've not done any of that. So, a few, I think it was maybe like a month or so into that particular time, we realized that the person who was doing that was my good friend, Kabuye. It was called Kabuye. So now, when you found out it was Kabuye, all these Christian friends of mine turned against me and said, You look, you're stupid, you're a fool. We told you, you can't trust those guys, you can't be friends with them, you can't treat them nicely, we need to get very, very aggressive. We, and so they got into that mode. Once they found out that this was a guy, they started actually hating him. They hated him so bad that they would actually get into these almost fist fights with him. And they would literally provoke him about conversations to do with his faith and the Christianity. And things really got bad and messy at that point. Because then after, shortly after that, um, I think two or three of the kids actually gave their life to Christ, Muslims. And these were like strong Muslims, so things actually got worse. So the school, the school head comes to assembly one morning and says, Patrick, Chris, um, and uh, there was, I'm forgetting his name now, Arthur. Arthur, you guys are causing trouble for our school. This is a Muslim school. You're not welcome here. If you don't want to, shape up, shape out. And I'm giving permission to the Muslim community to beat you and do whatever they want to do to you if you ever, ever, ever talk about your faith or your... Jesus. This is a school head saying that in front of all the school assembly. So my friends, Arthur and Chris and the others, even got more aggressive. Like, no, we are going to show them that we, our God is powerful and all that. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, we are in their school. <laughs> I'm not going to conform to their standards, but neither am I going to to get aggressive and you know, start provoking them and all that. So my approach was to actually keep loving Kabuye because Kabuye was the spearhead. So I, we phoned out and the others attacked him. I did nothing. I said nothing. I just kept treating him the way I treated him all that time. I was nice to him. I would talk to him. I would have lunch with him and do all these things to him. And I didn't know what I was doing at that point. For me, probably I was just like, oh, I'm just doing what I should be doing as a Christian witness in this school. So I think it is 20... 2015, 2015, yeah, because I think that was before my wife came to Uganda, 2015. 2015, I'm at Quieted Supermarket, I'd gone to get a few things there, and I ran into Kabuye. <laughs> Kabuye with his fiancé says, Oh, by the way, Patrick. I'm like, Who's calling me? So uh, I look as Kabuye. Kabuye says, Oh, meet my fiancé. Ah, this guy. And he starts talking about me. I've met people who claim to be Christians, this guy is a Christian that's what he tells his that's what he tells his fiance. this guy is a christian and i'm not saying that to puff myself up or to say that i'm very good i also you know have issues but my witness in that school did something to that young man sadly i never had another opportunity with him because a week later he actually was in a, in a in a car accident he was in a car accident and the car burned up and he died just a week after that incident after i'd met him so, up to now, I'm not so sure. I think that's a thing that really, I'm like, should, should I have? I don't know. Like, up to now, I don't know if, he, if that witness really did something. I hope it did something for him, and I hope it set him on a different path. I hope it did. But that really saddened me that just a week after that, I had never had another opportunity to actually talk to him or interact with him. He lost his life in a car accident. But his witness was this guy is a Christian. He's not a Christian because he says, I love God not because he prays the loudest, not because he sings the loudest, he's a Christian because he loves and knows how to honor others who are of different opinions from his. And finally, the 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 other lesson that I think is important for us to pick on is the fact that Daniel used his gift and abilities to serve others and bring glory to God. When he interprets the dreams, what does he say? I do not, it's my God who's able to give you the interpretation. He's constantly pointing to God. In Daniel 2, he used his ability to interpret dreams to save the lives of his companions. So he intercepts the king's guard, asks for an audience with the king, asks for more time, he and his friends seek God's help. And after getting the answer, we don't see Daniel running into the king and say, hey, look, I got the answer. No, he actually goes back to the same person who gave him, who took him to the king and says, by the way, can you take me back to the king? I think I have an interpretation. So you see this guy's posture of humility. He's not trying to exalt and glorify himself because he's gifted, because he has this dream, I mean, this habit to interpret dreams. But he actually is constantly pointing to the fact that God is the source of every good thing that I have. Let's look at Daniel 2, 20-23. Let's, let's see what he actually prays. Daniel 2. Let's just go back there and just see the posture of Daniel's heart. This is what he says. So this is after the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And this is what he says. Daniel answered and said, "Blessed be the name of God for ever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes the kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in darkness and light dwells within. And so on and so forth." When you look at 27, after he has actually given the interpretation to the king, in verse 27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and Suthayas cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. He is constantly pointing to God, he's not taking credit for the gift. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, What do you have that is not from God? What do you have? Is it knowledge? Is it your talent? Is it your gift? Is it your abilities? What do you have that did not come actually from God? What can we boast of that God did not give us? So part of us influencing the world around us is by using our gifting, our skill, and all these things that God has gifted us with to actually serve and glorify his name and actually serve others as well while giving him the glory and the honor. So what can we learn from the life of Daniel? We have said, what are your convictions? Daniel purpose in his heart. What is shaping your convictions today? Is it the word of God? Is it the pull of society? Do you actually live with excellence? Not necessarily seeking to be the best, but seeking to exalt and glorify God and pattern your life after him in everything that you do. Can people look at you and say, oh wow, there's something about that person. There's an excellent spirit about him, just like all these kings and their wives actually declared about Daniel. How about our confidence in God during the good and the bad times? It's easy for us to be here on Sunday morning and we all get happy clappy when everything is going well. How about on Monday morning? When you come into the office and your supervisor is just... How about then? Do you still get happy clappy and say, God is good? My God. My God is my God is able. My God is big. I know and all the things we sing. Are you able to say the same things? Are you able to say confidently those same things in the heat? In the middle of a trial, in the middle of a difficult situation. So how is our confidence in God? And lastly, how are we using our gifts and abilities to serve others and bring glory to God? So, in preparing the sermon this week, I also just feel strongly for somebody who be, who's here today. Even during worship, I actually still sense that I should give this word to somebody. There's a particular person here, you are in a very difficult work situation. What I'm not sure about is if it's employment or business, a business setting, but you are. In a very, 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 very difficult situation, and you are at a stage where you're contemplating giving up and walking away from that business or it could be your employment. God is saying, Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I am the God who sustains you. That's what He's saying to you this morning. I am the God who sustains you. I am the God who sees you right in the middle of the situation. I just want to encourage you, if you are here this morning and that is where you are, that is your story right now, please don't just go away, speak to somebody, pray with somebody. He says, hold on, don't give up, don't give up hope, hold on, I am your sustainer, I see you. I see you, I see you, I am the God who sees you. Don't, don't resign, don't resign, don't give up that business yet, whatever it is, I'm not so sure which is which, is, which, is which. but it's a situation in a, in a work setting. So we are challenged to have our sights set on eternity why being fruitful and influential for the King and His kingdom here on earth? And that is the tension of our life of a believer. The desire to be home with the Lord and yet striving to make Him known and to bring His kingdom into every sphere of our lives. We are accepted and trusted to bring God's kingdom into, into, not the world, our world. Our world. Your world is. Where you go to school. Your world is where you work. Your world is your home setting. Your world is your neighborhood. That's why we are here. That's why God has left us here. We need to maintain our affections and allegiance to him. Yet at the same time, we need to be influencing here and making a difference and exalting his name while we are here. Let's close with Daniel 11.32. I want us to read it together. Daniel 11.32. Daniel 11.32. Daniel eleven thirty two. I want us to read it together, so I'm waiting for the projection. Okay. So, those who do wickedly, I'm reading from the King James. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. That is from the New King James. This is a different version. I prefer the New King James. Those who do wickedly against the covenant shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. That is our portion. That is our inheritance. People who know their God shall do great exploits. Let's rise up. Let's rise up. Jerry will close us in prayer. Let's rise up.